0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today, as always. And uh, we have uh, a number of uh, wonderful guests. We're going to touch base with our old friend John Cribb, the author of Old Abe, uh, about uh, Abraham Lincoln, he's one of my favorites. He's got a great perspective on lots of stuff. And Todd Benzman will give us an update from the border. Todd Benzman, of course, is at the Center for Immigration Studies. A super guy, uh, incredible writer. I think his title—I I have him on the pro, on the program pretty frequently. His title is the. Um, national security fellow at the center for immigration studies and he's down on the border quite a bit so we'll talk with todd in a few moments okay but let's uh, let me set up for you you're seeing the news out of washington dc if you're seeing it you're if you're if you're paying attention many people are on vacation and and life is moving on i want to i want to draw a few strands of of things together i often tell the listeners and if you go to proamericareport.com you'll see some of the times i reference uh politico.com as one of the places is to go to see how the establishment left is thinking. Politico is based in Washington, D.C. It covers politics. You can tell by its name. It is left-leaning, but it's also sort of establishment. You can get a read on what's going on by seeing what they're covering. And they have a big piece on the Republican Party In a crisis, the crisis is the old economic vision of the party and the new one. And there's a tension between the populism of the Trumpian era on economics and the old guard, the free traders and the and the people that wanted to uh, limit taxes and all this stuff. And on one side, they have, uh, you know, Josh Hawley and they have instances of of people like uh, uh, Tom Cotton having positions that seem counter to the old guard, the old uh, uh, tax uh, uh, cutting uh, guard. And the, and the free marketers, free marketeers. It's all nonsense. However, it is the, the the division should be between those who use government to grow their power and control of the market and those that are trying to change that dynamic. So let me give you an example. In the news in the last um, 36 hours has been the coverage of the massive $1 trillion spending bill on quote-unquote infrastructure. So you say infrastructure? Oh boy, are they going to finally uh, build those, uh, rebuild those, um, you know, crumbling bridges? Are we going to get the interstate highway system beefed up? Will they get some fresh airports in, et cetera? Well, about a, maybe half, could be up to 60% of the infrastructure bill is actually infrastructure. The rest of it's all goodies and pork and things rolled in together at the behest of all of the key leaders and legislators, especially senators. And when you see it become a bipartisan bill, even with just a handful of senators, there's two things you should know. One, that just means everybody's getting theirs, including people that are voting against it. A lot of them are probably voting against it because they have to, but they're not actually actually going to get nothing they're going to get what they need and two it means that they want it to pass because if the u.s senate wanted to stop any senator wanted to stop a bill like this or at least make a stink they could but the system is set up that if you make that stink they'll make you pay on other stuff and so everybody sort of gets co-opted along the lines it's it's i'm not actually um complaining about it i'm describing it to you because you should know the reality but here's what's different about this moment We now have seen in the last year, we're not talking about a half a trillion. We're not talking about a trillion. We're talking about five, six, seven, eight, excuse me, seven trillion dollars spent directly from the government. Now, where do you get that? They haven't raised our taxes enough. They haven't changed the fees. Well, they're just printing money. And this is why inflation is guaranteed. And, you know, immediately after this trillion dollar infrastructure bill is considered and perhaps passed, the Democrats have a three point five trillion dollar one they want to add. So what's happening here? What's happening is the dramatic centralization, uh, uh, dramatic pulling towards the capitals. I'm talking about Washington, D.C. and the federal government, the power, because who has the power of the money and control has the power of what's going to happen. If you don't think that it matters who has money, especially coming from the government, you just don't understand human beings. For example. Illinois, California, Illinois, especially is the one I know best, uh, New York state to some extent, but then uh, local cities for sure. But let's just use Illinois. Illinois is broke, was broke, actually, because they had overspent, overpromised on their pensions. They'd overspent on their stuff. They, there was nothing they could do. And so they got massive bailouts in the last year from all these covid relief projects money that transferred into these places to stabilize their pensions you say well that's probably okay isn't it because you don't want the pensions to go belly up well it depends what you mean because the only way to pay for it is for you and i to pay more taxes or inflate your way out of it inflation and that's where we're headed so we're seeing massive spending and when you hear um somebody writing in Politico about how the Republicans are having a uh, are changing their position they want more government activism to say stop the uh, trust the antitrust uh, stop the monopolies or the dominant nature of of certain aspects of the economy now think Amazon think Google think uh, uh, the uh, big tech you, they say well this is a this is a foreign thing this is the, the Republicans are supposed to be free market no that, well, I mean that may be true I'm not sure it was always completely true but what in this case it means is that certain people, Holly's the one I can think of, but others are looking at it and saying, the government's controlling the economy already. It's not like it's actually free and fair and out in the market. It's being not just steered by the government, it's dominated by the government. And so you have to figure out how you possibly could, how, how you possibly uh, can go forward if you just have a smothering government, so you see things, and, and the smothering government is now being dominated by those who have the power to control the agenda. And so what Holly is trying to do is say, oh, well, the old model's not working because we're all losing out. What can we do to change the direction? What can we do to change the uh, the how it's going? That's what's happening. Now, again, you know, a lot, this week, a lot of attention on Hungary, right? Tucker Carlson's over there and Tucker Carlson's talking about the border most of the time. And I, I don't know if, uh, he'll, I don't know if he's doing more segments from there. Um, so it's, uh, um, the, it, it, but, but I will tell you, he's so far covered the border. I haven't seen all of his coverage, but one of the more interesting things in Hungary is the dramatic decisions of the government to direct people's lives In favor of things that they think are good. For example, there is policies, tax as well as direct payment policies to incentivize families, to incentivize children having children and and raising children to incentivize uh uh families with uh, a mother and a father and the and the father and one one person can be the home uh homemaker a caregiver and the other can be uh working in other words survive on one uh one uh salary which is one of the things that um uh, this candidate in ohio jd vance is running he said and a number of us we should have an america where people can afford to go and have one person work and the other person take care of the kids, because otherwise you're having to put them in daycare and pay for it anyway, but the point here is Hungary has um, has had policies uh, that that are exactly aimed at incentivizing what they believe is the positive way to have a society work in America right now we're having a government. That is growing in power to serve the powerful elite, but the incentives for legislation and other things are not in a direction at this point that you can say confidently is leading to human flourishing. One example. We have an education system that disproportionately puts our children into a system where they're taught, first, not to really appreciate the country the way we all thought we did, but more importantly, lots of times to be undereducated and underperforming, especially in city schools. That's government controlled, totally government dominated. You have to be able to buy your way out of that and have a desire to do that, to have anything different. That's a totally broken system, completely. And higher red is a, is another example. Of that. so. Uh, so it's so. The point here is, you're not seeing a change in uh, in the Republican policies like Politico wants you to do. What you're seeing right now is a realignment of America to understand that the elites, that the people with power and in charge, are not looking out for the rest of the country. You want another good example? Fentanyl. Is killing a hundred thousand Americans every year. It comes from China, mostly through the Mexican border, and those people that die. And I was on an interview with a, T- a TV interview with somebody said, you know, those are low income folks. Um, and the fact is that the we what we did, what we have seen, is that it's not being attacked, not being stopped. Why? It doesn't really affect the elites the way it affects other people. That's my opinion. Alright, I gotta take a break. We'll come back. We got lots of great interviews. Please visit proamericareport.com. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend Todd Benzman. He's the senior national security fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. CIS.org is where you go and click through to his page. He writes frequently. He's got video content. Uh, and he is uh, was over a, a few weeks ago. I watched this. It was maybe a month ago now on C-SPAN and talking about the border crisis. So welcome back, Todd. How are you?
0: Oh, Doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, what triggered me grabbing you back on is that the numbers, we have the July, what's called apprehension numbers. And uh, you wrote and and explained what that mean, what they are, and what it means at a historic level. Tell us about it.
0: Well, the numbers are preliminary. Uh, Government hasn't Mm -hmm. fully vetted these yet, but they're coming out. For the month of July, it was 210,000 apprehensions. That's by Border Patrol and uh, some also at the ports of entry. This is a really big number. Uh, Finally, broke over 200,000 for one month. That's about 6,770 people a day each day of July. Uh, This is going to be 80,000 families. Uh, people who are in family units and 20,000 unaccompanied minors; those are all records. Uh, every month, we are breaking new records in volume and numbers of encounters, and that puts us truly in the red zone. Ed, uh, this thing is just fully out of control now. Uh, the the border patrol uh, all along the Texas border in several different sectors are no longer able to do even their basic jobs. Uh, They are absolutely sucked into the vortex of processing these uh, families and children. And the rest of the border is pretty much wide open, except for whatever Texas Department of Public Safety state troopers can do.
1: Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you. So uh, we're, again, we're talking with Todd Bensman and at Bensman Todd is his Twitter handle. I just uh, retweeted him. I do regularly. Um, but Todd, if, there's, if that's apprehensions, when I read your piece on this, again, go to cis.org to see all the great work of the center there and, and click through to Todd's. But what, that's that's apprehensions. If you've got 210,000 apprehensions in a month, let's just call it 200,000. That means you've got 200,000 interactions with with people okay so i and maybe it's a family or two or ten or whatever i don't know, but that's not everything on the border so it, it, your point i mean part of this is the that's only the apprehensions right i mean does somebody does anybody even guess what the number of other people coming across uh is yes yeah there
0: there is some art more art than science to guessing how many got through uh but the number the unofficial number that's been shared with me is 37,000 immigrants who are presumed to have gotten through without any sort of interaction. Uh, That's going to be a really low number. Uh, Last month, it was 50,000. And the month before that, it was even uh, greater, 60,000. That number is, it's not that that number is falling. It's that Border Patrol agents who report those numbers are not in a position anymore to report them. So they're my, the, my, my best informed guess is that the agents are unable to calculate and then file the reports to their own, uh, intelligence people on that. But in any case, it's still, uh, you know, they were able to tally 40,000 that they think got through, you know, from footprints and, uh, camera surveillance cameras and helicopter sightings and that sort of thing of people that didn't get caught. they count those. So they're called gotaways. Uh, And then, you know, there are going to be very large numbers of uh, immigrants who are able to penetrate through the border, through the uh, defenses, uh, who just never get caught. They make it into the interior. They get onto the highways. They uh, are picked up. That's why we're having all these chases. Uh, you know, crazy, pell right. car chases because um, you know they get flash. The lights come on. Flash police, police cars flash them up, and then they they run. And there's bailouts and and all kinds of crazy things going on down there.
1: Um, we're talking again with Todd Benzman, uh, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. dot org. Todd, um, I know, and I I, I I know you'll take this the right way because we've uh, we've been doing this for a long time um a lot of times todd that there are people you know they say it's a border crisis it's a border crisis and and it certainly is like lots of time this feels like it's actually out of control is it is it truly out of control well i try to stay away from hyper hyperbole
0: uh but man i got to tell you it's just it it's just out of control it's not like anything i have border patrol agents call me i have cbp officers call me Uh, Just to talk about what they're seeing. I had one last night tell me who, uh, that about 600 groups of 600 immigrants at a time just are swarming over 500 at a time. 500 Haitians uh, a week or two ago, uh, a few nights ago, just groups that are, that it's unheard of. We haven't seen anything like this. Uh, and the border patrol agents that I talked to say, we have no, we aren't even doing our jobs. We have, nobody is on the border. Nobody is there anymore because they are being diverted to babysitting duty and processing duty. The administration is allowing all of these people and 80,000. Think about that. 80,000 family group members got processed wow. into the country in one month. Well, that's a lot of people, uh, you know, you're using these border patrol agents are usually, you know, they might deal with a, you know, handful or a couple dozens, a baker dozen in the old days, the good old days. And, you know, now it's just all night long, all day long, and they're exhausted and they're getting sick and they are, you know, from COVID and, uh, it's it's really there is no effective control right now in lar- along large swaths of the Texas border, according to the people that I talked to, and I've been down there a bunch of times this this year and saw it. I've watched it with my own eyes. Just I've described it before as a D-Day type invasion with three, four, five rubber rafts in a in a row. Uh, Crossing filled with migrants and dumping them and going back for more loads and doing that all night long, it's really something that the I think the American public has no idea how really crazy this is now. It is really
1: Um, off the charts. uh, um todd, we're talking again todd bensman everybody and, and again follow him on twitter at Benzman todd and b-e-n-s-m-a-n is his last name and at dot org, you can go and he's got a book too uh that is uh the um that i, I came out about in the last year and it's very good on the on the border um and, and uh, i mean it's called america's covert border war the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration um todd why isn't it being covered and, and i'm being serious in in this sense it's actually fairly dramatic if you made a tv movie and you had families and young women and you had minorities and you had old and young and you had rivers and, and all this you had deserts and people dying it, it should be dramatic to cover it's not being covered really by anyone not uh, frankly it's not even being covered by fox or anybody what what's happening here
0: well i you know it, Fox News is down there. They've got these drone uh, teams that are flying drones around. Uh, they, there is at least them. They're down there, and they're down there quite a bit. Newsmax goes down every once in a while, but it's mostly conservative media that are down there, and that that conservative media does not get to the broader U.S. population, and especially not Democrats and liberal uh, news consumers and the reason my, this is speculative of course, but I think I'm right. I used to be a journalist. Uh, I did it for 23 years, my whole first career mainstream media guy, mm-hmm. is that most reporters in this country are liberal, they're politically liberal. And this is a real Achilles heel for the Democrats and the Biden administration. They lost a presidency in 2016 over this issue this is a really big issue and the polling is terrible for the Biden people on this issue. And I think they don't want the American public to see it because Mm -hmm. it stokes anger and and Mm -hmm. resentment. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's outrageous what's happening down there. It's, it's just outrageous. Uh, You, you can, you just, these towns and cities are just filled with, wandering immigrants and, Mm -hmm. uh, runners and chases. And, you know, there's just, I mean, it's just crazy with the ranch lands Mm -hmm. and the ranchers in the interior and, uh, you know, busloads of, you know, migrants being, you know, loaded up all day and all night long for months on end being shipped to, uh, all corners of the United States. Right. So, Mm -hmm.
2: I yeah, mean, this is it's
0: a- This is a real phenomenon. It's a historic moment in the country, uh, yep. as far as I'm concerned. And we are going. I, I don't want to, you know, overstate this, or uh, but it really looks like. I mean, what I'm hearing down there for the month of August. You know, we had 210 thousand in July, when historically those numbers are supposed to be down because it's so hot. Uh, right. Instead, in August. September and as it gets cooler, it's it's just gonna be I mean I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see three hundred thousand in a month. (sighs) Uh, Wow definitely, you know, a quarter million at a time. Uh you know, I mean Mm. these are medium-sized cities of people just pouring over the border.
1: Hmm. Wow. All right, I gotta run them out of time, unfortunately. Todd Bensman, everybody, CIS.org is where you can find his stuff and also up on Twitter. Thank you, Todd, covering everything and be careful again soon. thank you thank you okay we'll take a break we'll take a break everybody be right back it's ed martin here on the pro-america report back in a moment welcome back welcome back ed martin here on a pro-america report it's time to check in with i think i can say this safely my favorite living author my favorite living author, the author of uh, the book Old Abe, which you've all heard about so much. And uh, Old Abe is John Cribb's book. He has written a lot, though. He's uh, he's co-authored a couple of bestsellers. He's written uh, himself a bunch of work and been published in every major newspaper and it looks like periodical. Uh, but Old Abe is out. Uh, is It's a, a, a what I call a historical novel about Abe Lincoln. It's extraordinary. It goes from just around the time, uh, like days around the time of the Presidential nomination until the death of Lincoln. So it's about five years. You can correct me, John, when I get it wrong. But it's a great book. And I I like to have John talk about the book. I'm hoping he's going to do another one uh, on Lincoln because it just brings Lincoln to life. Everybody agrees on that. And I keep pushing him there. But John, first of all, welcome back. And let me ask you Lincoln went through a period of major crises and division right now I don't actually subscribe to the mainstream narrative that everything's divided I do subscribe to the narrative that the media is trying to divide us but there's no doubt we're in a sort of crisis time and you know what one of our guests on the show today is going to talk about the border uh and what's happening I mean it's a crisis there's a lot happening but I mean Lincoln went through what much much worse I mean in terms of real hatred and division it was palpable at that time right Yes, and
3: thanks for having me on, Ed. Uh, you're always so nice to me. I really appreciate it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it was worse. Uh, certainly, obviously, in the sense that the, the country erupted in, in violent civil war with hundreds of thousands of uh, you know uh, deaths resulting. Um, uh, it, one thing that was different, though, was that it was really was you know pretty much a geographical split. Um, and you know, you can say there are red states and blue states today. But one thing that that maybe is worse today. Is that there's no geographical split. It's it's a you know kind of American versus American in their own hometowns and cities and neighborhoods, um, and that's right. something that Lincoln didn't have to deal quite so much with. I mean, it's certainly true that in the North there were Southern sympathizers, and in the North there, I mean, in the South there were people who were against secession. But uh, um, but there's some bitterness today, uh, you know, among neighbors. Um, but, mm-hmm. but then, on the other hand, you know, fam- families were literally torn apart uh, during the Civil War. So, yeah, short answer is yes. I think Lincoln uh, dealt with uh, with worse than we've got today, but it may be it may be the worst since since then today.
1: Yeah, well, and we're talking where we're we're talking about John Cribb, his book, uh, Old Abe is out published by Republic Book Publishers. It's been doing some great work, Um, John. But the difference or what was the media like for Lincoln? I mean, the media is it's somewhat identifiable now. You know, MSNBC and CNN are going to lie in one direction. Fox is going to tell some of the truth in another direction. But but it it feels like and big tech is so different. What was media like for Lincoln and in his time? How 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 hard was it to have anything uh, that was true put out?
3: uh was could be could be difficult. Media was ex- extremely partisan. Um there were uh, papers that were newspapers. Of course the newspapers were the the you know kind of the big tech of their day. They were the cutting edge technology. And uh there were newspapers that were known as Republican newspapers that supported Lincoln and there were uh, uh newspapers that were known as Democratic newspapers who were generally against Lincoln. And, uh, the Democratic papers, uh, were savage Lincoln, uh, throughout the war, especially as the war went so poorly, uh, during you know, the first years. And they called him everything from a tyrant to a monstrosity to a buffoon, he threw, you know, ripped from the, from the sticks from the prairies he was then over his head and didn't know what he was, uh, doing. Uh, they just viciously attacked him. I'm talking about the Northern Democratic papers. You can imagine what the Southern. Uh, papers uh, right. said, which and they were mostly Democrats. So he dealt with a lot of uh, of uh, personal uh, attacks and attacks on his policies uh, during during the war. Now Lincoln was a master at at dealing with the newspapers. He frequently, uh, you know, he kept up good contacts with editors. Uh, he he courted them. Uh, he frequently uh, would write stuff for the newspapers. Uh, sometimes. You know, uh, anonymously, um, and, and get them to publish it. He always made very sure that the speeches that he gave, the important speeches, were carefully placed so that they would, you know, they would get, uh, press. So he, he was a, he was a master at, uh, using the newspapers to get his message across. But he was certainly
1: savaged throughout the war by a lot of
3: newspapers in the North.
1: It's, uh, again, we're talking with John Cribb and the book, uh, again, published by Republic Book Publishers. It's uh, Old Abe. It's really, really good. Hey, um, John, anybody? Another thing I got asked about, I gave this book to a friend of mine. There's a couple of lawyers down in southern Illinois, about uh, 30, 40 miles, maybe 50 miles from Springfield, but they're big Lincoln fans. I gave them the book. They, in fact, the woman, one of the of the two of them, the man and the woman, the woman that had read almost every book hadn't read yours. So I, gave, I gave, sent it to her a few, maybe five, six weeks ago. But um, someone asked me, a different person, about the book. It would be a good movie. Anybody talking about making a movie out of it? It's got a different kind of timing uh, that it could work. I know there's been a lot of Lincoln movies, but are you getting much attention to the book?
3: We've had some inquiries about that, and thank you for asking, and, and thank you for, for mentioning it another Lincoln book. As a matter of fact, you've been pushing me on that, and I was working on it this morning, my friend. I want you to know. Oh, good, um, good, uh, good. The uh, the other book would, uh, and and I know that uh, I talked to Eric Campbell at Republic uh, Books the other day, mm-hmm. and they're, Waiting for the manuscript, and it will cover the uh, first part of Lincoln's life. And I feel, actually, for for some sort of film treatment, um, that that would be the way to go. Uh, this book will start him off on the Indiana uh, frontier as a teenager, and then it takes him up through the Lincoln Douglas debates. So I think the th- two books together uh, would make a nice, you know, limited series. I uh, think we used to call them mini series. I think mean, you know, they call them limited series now, where you kind of track him right through his life very similar to what they did with uh with uh the barry boswick uh uh george washington uh
1: series yeah yeah yeah. Years ago. Yep. yeah 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 you know the thing on that the thing on that, i'm glad to hear that i wasn't sure what the other one but, but the lincoln douglas debates were are starting to lose oh, i mean we're losing a lot of education in our country but people are starting to lose the understanding of what that was and how it fit together and and that L- lincoln actually you know he he won his fame because it was so sh- extraordinary and they were publishing these hours long speeches. He lost the race. He didn't win. You know, was, uh, the, he was trying to, to, uh, uh, get to the Senate so he lost that but he he kind of got his fame and and part of the the uh, power of it and I think one of them was in Alton right didn't the, the Lincoln Douglas I think well maybe the last yeah, debate was definitely. down in Alton the last debate yeah it, it, yeah yeah and and they, they were extraordinarily covered like the like the trial of the century you know everybody can remember where they were when OJ if you were alive at that time OJ was acquitted people knew the Lincoln Douglas debates so all around the the world really
3: they absolutely did. It catapulted him into the national spotlight and really set him up for his uh, his run for the for the presidency. And those speech those debates were reprinted, and he had them uh, this, the debates uh, reprinted in a in a book that he uh, that he helped <laughs> arrange. Um, but it was a uh, it was just an amazing uh, you know debates, and people should know those debates. And there's uh, I, and as you say, he he was running for the Senate against Stephen Douglas, and he ended up. Uh, losing that Senate race. He actually won the popular vote in Illinois, uh, but the way things right. worked back then was the, the uh, legislature uh, you know, elected the uh, senator. Right. So just because of the apportionment of the, of the way it worked, uh, more Democrats ended up in the, in the legislature, and so they sent Douglas back to the Senate. But uh, it's interesting. I don't know if I've told you the story or not, but right after, sometime after the debates, he was uh, talking to his friend David Locke, who was a humorist who wrote under the name Petroleum Nasby. Lincoln loved uh, reading Nasby during the war, but this was in 18, you know, 1858, late 1858. And uh, he told Nasby. he said, well, you know, I'm so sorry we lost, and, you know, that's, that's bitter. But he said, I'm, I'm glad we went through, and I'm glad we had the debates. He said, um, he said, because he said, we taught people, thousands and thousands of people who never really thought much about slavery uh, to hate it. And he used a really interesting metaphor, which is very, I think, pertinent to some stuff that's going on today, he said, uh, "He said evil can't stand a discussion. He said evil can't stand hey. a discussion. He said what kills, what kills the skunk, is the publicity it gives itself. He said he said what a skunk wants to do is keep snug under the barn in daytime when men are around with shotguns. It's a great hey. thing. What, what Lincoln was saying was, you know, the way to kill a bad idea." Is to, to bring mm-hmm. it out in the open, exposed to daylight, and discuss it. And because right. um, if you don't, it's going to stay under the barn and get stinkier and stinkier. And but hmm. uh, those people out there who you know take the view, well, I don't like that idea. The best way to put it down is to cancel it. Right. And, you know. Uh, yeah. They're they're doing the exact wrong thing. They may think they're 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 killing uh, an idea they don't like, but Lincoln knew that. Yeah. Discussing an idea, bringing out into the open. And that's you know that's the way uh, to approach mm. it, and that's what intellectually honest people do. And mm. it's, uh, pe- these people who are hell bent on controlling the narrative by you know stamping out ideas that they don't like and and and, and trying to cancel them, I think in the long run are going to find that yeah, they, they are
1: work. yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that is uh, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. All right, John, I got to run. I'm out of time. John Cribb, the book is Old Abe, Republic Book Publishers. Uh, we got to take a break, everybody. I'm up against a break myself. We'll Be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
2: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution and American sovereignty. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. On August 6th, 1945,
1: The United States changed the course of human history by dropping an atomic bomb on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. The wisdom of that action at the behest of President Harry Truman has become one of the most hotly debated issues of all time. Many on the left, who are always so quick to condemn historical figures in hindsight, believe that the dropping of the atomic bomb was one of the greatest moral failings in the history of our nation. Others, like the late conservative matriarch Phyllis Schlafly, have strongly voiced support for the use of the bomb. Let's put the politics aside for a second and talk about the facts. It is a fact that the Japanese were prepared to defend their homeland to the last man, woman, and child. In two and a half thousand years of recorded history, there was no record of Japan surrendering to anyone, not ever. In the entirety of the Second World War, not one single Japanese unit was ever recorded as having surrendered the United States had every reason to believe that the island nation of Japan would have fought tooth and nail for every inch of their homeland. In hindsight, we can see that these inferences were valid. Uncovered contemporaneous documents indicate that the Japanese military was prepared to sacrifice up to 28 million civilians in the defense of their homeland, which was roughly one-third of their total population. By shocking Japan into surrender with two atomic bombs... America saved untold millions of Japanese lives, in addition to the many American lives that were also spared. Like so many politically driven historians, the anti-bomb crowd is far more quick to condemn Truman's actions than they are to suggest an alternative. At the end of the day, leftists just do not want to admit that nukes are safe in the hands of a moral people, like the 1945 Americans. We could have used the atomic bomb to conquer the globe... But instead, we rebuilt the nations of our enemies and started sending billions of dollars in foreign aid. We should thank the Lord every day that he gave the atomic bomb to America. The world is better because of it.
2: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back with you. And hey, I tell you, one of my favorite things is hearing from uh, listeners, hearing from folks Sometimes they're happy with me, sometimes they're not, sometimes they have a different point of view, sometimes though they have insight and it's really important to have it, you know, have it shared and so thank you to so many of you. If you, again, if you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can email me right through that website, it goes right to my uh, personal email account. You can also email me, my work is ed at phyllisschlafly.com, ed at phyllisschlafly.com. that also goes right to my phone my email account that goes to my phone and also have that texting line that sometimes people like to do. You can text me at 314-256-1776. 314-256-1776. So I got some feedback and I hope you've had a chance to uh, listen to the Larry Elder interview that I did a few days ago. It's gotten a ton of attention. And when I blasted it out to my uh, eagle colleagues, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, I got some wonderful responses back. Now, so there's a Wednesday email that goes out regularly to some, I don't know, 45,000 plus email uh, uh, subscribers or participants. And um, it, 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 you can imagine with that many people on it, you get replies. People reply and say, oh, you know, this or that, or oh, come on, what about this? Or have you thought about that? And different things. It's a, it's a great way to see and feel what's going on. So in this case, um, <clears throat> the email went out. And, um, it was, it included a link, uh, to Larry Elder's interview. Uh, with me from a couple days ago. And so it got, first of all, it got some uh, great responses. But one of the responses came in almost as fast as you could have listened to the whole interview. The interview was about 21 minutes. And I, th- I think it was 25 minutes after the email went out. I got an email back from a wonderful lady. And I, I don't think she would mind me quoting her. But she wrote me a long email. And she said this, and this was about Larry Elder. She said, Mr. Martin, thank you so much for the interview with Governor Larry Elder. I've missed his interviews with Lou Dobbs while I've been missing Lou Dobbs, too. I believe California would be standing in clover to have Larry Elder as governor. Now, I'll pause now. Uh, a lot of people miss Lou Dobbs' show. A lot of people missed him. Lou Dobbs was an incredibly talented host for many, many decades, probably four decades, and people really relied on him. So that is, a, first of all, I'd almost forgotten that he disappeared because I don't watch a lot of uh, TV. But on this message goes from a woman named Virginia. Mr. Elder always reminds me of my Uncle Robert, who has been deceased too long now. But you will realize my age in knowing that my uncle marched from France to Germany in World War II, while many of my other relatives served in the Navy or other forces of the war. We were fortunate they all came back home. I was born in Martha Jefferson Hospital in Charlottesville, Virginia. So you know I'm a real American, along with Mr. Elder and those who served to protect the country. I lived within 10 miles of Monticello and visited often throughout the school years before moving to another state. I visited the White House, Capitol, and all the historic places on school journeys, and I can that and I can vouch that America has surely changed for the worse in these years. Mr. Elder and joyful warriors like him will make America great again. I'm concerned about the illegal voting that could occur such as it did for my president, President Trump. Whenever I see or hear from Mr. Elder, I think of my uncle with the joyful warrior trait that Mr. Elder has. And this is this is, this is what really got me. Strong men. And real Americans, well-adjusted human beings that fought for and made America better as a result. And now Mr. Elder is fighting the same battle in California. I only wish I had an oil well to donate to the Hilt, but one thing is certain. I'm so proud of Mr. Elder and always enjoyed those evenings when I viewed him with Lou Dobbs. And now in your emails, etc., etc. I'm in touch with my California friends and hoping they're planning to vote for this terrific warrior. Thanks again, Ed. So, first of all, thank you, Virginia, for writing. Second of all, that really captures it, doesn't it? Some people, Larry Elder's one, they're just joyful warriors. They're saying things that are tough sometimes. They're saying things that aren't easy. They're saying things that aren't even pleasant. But they're just joyful warriors. And it's fantastic. I'm telling you right now, I know I talked about it yesterday. There's more articles. We'll we'll go delve into some of them. There's some polling now. Uh, Gavin Newsom's got a problem. And his problem, it may be unsolvable, meaning he just may get recalled because people are so disgusted. After that, it's amazing to think what happens. I mean, someone else is going to be governor. There's no Democrat on the ticket uh, that's of any scope, of any seriousness. There's no, you know, I, I forgot this. When Gray Davis was recalled... The lieutenant governor, a man named Bustamante, <clears throat> actually ran um, as uh, uh, to be governor. So, and there would have been a Democrat. The people knew their name. There's like one Democrat on the on the recall ballot. Uh, that after Newsom loses, you have to pick one, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of picking. So, a lot of things are lining up to make the incredible possible. But back to my point, I'm pretty sure now. I know it's f- five weeks away, but I'm pretty sure now that Gavin Newsom has a big problem. And it's not one that he can solve because he's, he's riding the wave of simply the downward spiral from Biden, from Cuomo, the economy. Um, watch what happens. You still got five weeks of, um, oh, excuse me. Still got three and a half weeks of August and then a couple more weeks. Uh, probably you're going to see more wildfires, right? You're probably going to see wildfires where people are, um, are, you know, going to be saying, my gosh, what's happened to uh, California again? Why can't we stop this? And uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to be really fun to watch. All right. Thank you, as always, again. Thanks to uh, Virginia for sending me that nice email. I did forward it on to Larry Elder, encouraged him, hopefully, in his fight and his race. And uh, thank you to all of you that reach out and send us your thoughts. And also, you know, one thing, I do get some from the listeners, some of your recommendations, if there's either books or authors or uh, uh, public figures or someone you want us to talk to, uh, send that to us. It's always good to go. We get some great feedback from you all so please visit again proamericareport.com the Larry Elder interviews over there you can also email me through the website there and you can also go on social media at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter is the one that's the most active thank you as always to our great great producer uh, Noah Dingley for keeping things going as he does so well and also to Joanna for helping book our guests and we will be back tomorrow it's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report talk to you then